Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. But anyways, I have been, you know, ministering now at length for some time. Uh, on these Wednesdays, the Lord just hasn't let me pull off and, and uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, I'll be staying here on just ministering life of the Spirit, life in the Spirit, living a life in the spirit. And I'm telling you, we have got to get a bitter, a better image, not a bitter image, a better. You can get better or you can get bitter, right? We're going to get a better picture of the life that we have in God. There are too many deceived Christians in the earth today. There are too many believers that have been tricked out of, or maybe just out of sheer ignorance, haven't been taught, haven't been shown. It hasn't been revealed what is available to us. When you come into the kingdom, you need to discover who you are, what you can do, and what you have. Those three things you need to discover. Who you are, what you can do, and what you have at your disposal. If we get a picture of those three things, according to the Word of God, not just what we feel like, and not what is comfortable or uncomfortable, not what is conceivable and inconceivable, Uh, You know, somebody, I heard someone make a great statement today, and it just got me going. It said, you, there's a measure of faith that shows up when you can worship in a trial. That, that's a whole nother, I mean, if you ever question what, where, what level is my faith at? What level am I operating in faith on? the, the, The question should be, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this pressure, whatever it is. Can I worship the Lord? I mean, just still worship him for who he is. Worship him that his word will be performed. Worship him that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which it was sent to do. Worship him that I am still his. Worship him that I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I mean, all these things should be coming back to us. But when we don't have the the true understanding of what is available to us, who we are and what we can do, then worship will not be the outcome. Praise will will be the furthest thing from your lips. It'll be the last thing you feel like wanting to do. You'll complain, you'll grieve, you'll moan, you'll whine before we ever get to worship. But man, when you have developed faith in your life to the point where you can worship God even in the midst of a trial, And, of course, the reference that we can look at for that is Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are doing what? In the bottom of a pit of a dungeon, their backs wide open from being beaten, humiliated in front of everybody, not knowing even what tomorrow holds. I mean, that was just the beginning. We forget that sometimes. They weren't planning on just letting them go. (laughs) They they were most likely going to take their life within the next 24 hours. And with, with, with no... Uh, you know, blinding light with, with, without seeing anything in the natural that says we're going to overcome this, what they decide to do? Worship. What they decide to do? Praise their God. Lift up their voices. And they didn't need a CD. They didn't need a worship team. They didn't need, uh, you know, a YouTube video that's on, you know, worship mix, you know. It, it was just out of their heart with their lungs with their mouths, worshiping the Lord in the midst of a trial. And you know what's even greater? Is not only were they delivered, but a jailer was delivered. And it goes on to say his entire household. I wonder who's waiting on your worship. (laughs) I wonder who's waiting to be delivered off of your praise. Not just you, not just God get me through this, God get me out of this, God find a way. But how can my worship and how can my praise deliver and be a blessing to someone else? Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? That has nothing to do with what I ministered on tonight. So that's free, free of charge. You can have it, take it or leave it. Somebody needed it, amen? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We have been talking about this life in the spirit, and we have been journeying specifically now. For the last, uh, I mean, well, let's see, we're on gift number six out of nine. So for at least six weeks, we have been 
uh, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And we have been talking about their uses, their misuses, um, the expectations, why we need these gifts of the Spirit. And so it's been some time since we've touched on some of these. Um, so by way of reminder, let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting out. Um, he says in verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So right off the top, Paul is admonishing us and he's letting us know that these spiritual gifts should be desired. You know what I've discovered in life is whatever we treat as optional, we eventually will treat as unnecessary. Whatever we treat as optional eventually gets treated as unnecessary. And there's no way in Scripture you can come to a conclusion that the gifts, one, were either optional or two, unnecessary in the life of the believer. You know, I, I know a lot of times, especially in 2022, we have wanted to... Um, Ah, what's the right word? You know, we've heard so many words that water down, compromise, diminish, devalue, whatever word you want to throw in there. But we want to reduce the gospel message to its simplest form. And I understand that for those that are not yet in the kingdom, that you want to make it as simple as possible to understand. The, the effort and the heart of the individual to reduce the word wasn't to chop away and cut away. It was to help people buy into this kingdom life. But the danger is, is that we begin going through and drawing a line down the middle, so to speak, and putting on the left side the things that absolutely have to be communicated and understood and valued. And then the other things that, man, if you don't get this and this and this and this, you still go to heaven. You're still in the kingdom. And the, again, the heart and the intent was let's help people understand because this is a complex book. Anybody found this book a little complicated? Anybody found this book a little hard to understand at times? Uh, maybe even contradicting itself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to divulge it to us. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to understand it. It's not naturally discerned. You're not supposed to get it on your own. And so in an effort to make a lot of these elements understandable and what's necessary and what's vital, we, we then draw a line and then things like the Holy Spirit and things like divine health and things like prosperity and things like being led by the Spirit and things like bringing the kingdom to earth and things like our authority and being seated at the right hand of the Father and things like being in Him and in Christ and are in Him reality. All these things end up on the right side of the column as, eh, you know, if you don't get that, you're okay, you're still going to make it home. But you got to understand the cross, and you got to understand the blood, and you got to understand, you know, that you were lost, you were a sinner. And, and basically, we've reduced the gospel, the American gospel, down to a tract. Remember tracts? Anybody used to hand out tracts or ever been handed a tract? It starts at the beginning. There was a God that created an earth, put man on it. Man sinned voluntarily. Authority was given over to Satan. We are now sinners. God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem us and buy us back. He gave his life so that we could have life. If you, expect, if you accept him today, if you die today, you'll go home to be with heaven. You'll go home to be with Jesus in heaven. The end. There's a lot that's left out. And again, the effort and the interest and the intent was we want you to understand that there's a loving God that loves you so much that he's restored you and he's redeemed you and there's a place waiting for you. At the end, at the end of the day, that's what we are trying to convey and what we're trying to communicate. But there's a lot to discover. There's a journey you're now set on that the cross is not an end, it's a start. It's just the beginning. We're just getting into what this life really means. And so Paul identifies here in verse 1, there's got to be a desire for spiritual gifts, desire for manifestations that are unnatural. That's literally what this means. Spiritual gifts meaning none of these nine gifts are naturally displayed. None of these nine gifts are naturally performed. None of these nine gifts of the Spirit, not gifts of faith, not gifts of miracles, not, not, not gifts of healings, not uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, 
tongues, interpretation of tongues, and even prophecy that we're going to talk about today. None of them can be executed without a yielding to the Holy Spirit. Not one of them. And so if, if we only communicate the natural side of the kingdom of God and the natural side of being a Christian, I was lost. I was a sinner. Jesus died for me. I accept him into my heart. I confess him as Lord. When I die, I go to heaven. If we only communicate on that level, then we're never going to make need for what the Holy Spirit wants to introduce us to. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just done with the whole idea that we can eliminate the Holy Spirit from our lives and perform what God called us to do in his word. I'm past that. I'm past that, guys. I'm, I'm not there. You, you won't find me on that side. I believe that without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be the believer that the scripture tells. We can be a believer that man wants us to be. But I'm past the idea that somehow we can eliminate the third person of the Godhead, the presence and spirit of God himself, indwelling, living in us, coming upon us, empowering us for kingdom work. I just don't believe that that was the interest of Jesus at all. I don't believe that was the, the, one of the last things he shares with his disciples in, in John 14, 15, and 16 is he introduces them to the third person of the Holy Spirit. It is to your advantage that I leave because if I don't, he can't send the comforter. He can't send the helper. He can't send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself. Uh, a lot of what we've been discussing and a lot of what we've been talking about, even just in the whole general scope of living in the Spirit, might seem uncommon, might seem, uh, you know, unfamiliar. But it's time to become familiar with that once again. It's time to expect the work of the Holy Spirit, not just up here and not just out here, but in here and in our vehicles and in our workplaces and in our communities, and in our showers, and in our living rooms, and at the dining room table, and in the boardrooms, and at the business meetings, and at the ball games. It's time to expect the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. He was not meant to be shut up in buildings that call themselves churches with signs out front. He was meant to be shut up within believers that would now let him out. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is his work can't be executed in the earth unless it works through one of you. It can't. These nine gifts show us just how much the Father loves us. These nine gifts show us just how much the Father wants his spirit to envelop and be unloaded in this earth today. These nine gifts prove to us that God is not done with the earth and he's not disinterested with the affairs of man and he, he cares so much that he's placed his Holy Spirit upon you to perform Holy Spirit supernatural works and acts in nine different forms, in nine different ways. That to me sounds like a God that is very much interested in what happens here, not just getting us from here to there. Y'all, is this making sense? I know it goes completely against the simplistic value of the gospel and accepting Jesus, making him Lord of my heart, uh, Lord of my life and accepting him into my heart, which even a lot of that is just silliness if we break down what we're saying. You're not inviting Jesus into your heart. He's inviting you into his kingdom. It's the other way around. But when I understand that the life he's leading me into demands the Holy Spirit, this is no longer optional stuff. I mean, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but there may be some of you in this room, you have never heard teaching, really even addressing the gifts of the Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. And you've been in church for a long time. It's amazing that we could go to church that long. And never be engaged with the third person of the Godhead, the one that Jesus has left you with. You've heard me say it before. We know a lot about God the Father. Where's he at? In heaven. We know a lot about Jesus the Son. Where's he at? In heaven. And we know very little about the Holy Spirit. Where's he at? Here on earth for you and with you. Abiding with you forever. 
it seems to me that the one that I would want to know the most. And you know what's crazy about that is Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he will introduce you to Jesus. He'll introduce you to the Father. I'll submit this to you and then I'll move on. I wonder if maybe we don't really know God the Father and Jesus the Son because we never got acquainted with the Holy Spirit. Maybe we got introduced to a different God the Father. One that will strike you dead if you mess up. One that lets you do whatever you want. Maybe we got introduced to Jesus, a a, a soft shepherd leading man or a carpenter's son or a man that went around doing works but isn't, he was a prophet and he served the Father but wasn't really God in the flesh, wasn't really delegating and giving to you authority and power. Maybe we're getting introduced to the wrong God, the Father, and the wrong Jesus, the Son, because we aren't acquainted with the Holy Spirit of God who is the one who's supposed to lead you to them. I don't know, just thinking out loud. But it sounds pretty good to me. He says, when he comes to you, he'll remind you of things that I've said. He'll never say anything on his own initiative, but only what he hears the Father speak. I'll give you one more and then I'll move on. One more. The Holy Spirit is the one who's supposed to introduce your old self to your new self. Maybe the reason why we don't fully know what we're capable of and who we are and what we have is because we haven't let the Holy Spirit show us. We've let experience tell us. We've let pastors tell us. We've let grandma tell us. We've let other Christian believers in their good hearts tell us what we can and what we can't do. But what if we just let the Holy Spirit do his job? What if we just let the Holy Spirit be the leader and the guide of our lives? What if we just let the Holy Spirit say, hey, I want to introduce you. Here, this is God the Father. I want you to know him. This is, this is Jesus. This is his son who he sent to the earth. Not to show us what he could do, but show us what you can do. And here's your new self, robed in righteousness, seated at the right hand of the Father. What if we just let the Holy Spirit do what he's assigned to do? Stop trying to figure out God without the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to figure out Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to figure out church without the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to figure out how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to respond and how I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to think outside of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit's supposed to be showing you how to walk in love, how to have joy, how to operate in peace, self-control, goodness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, fruits of the Spirit. Oh, it's so good living in the Spirit. It's so much better living in the spirit. We will frustrate ourselves and have trying to figure this thing out without the Holy Spirit. And I'll be the first to tell you that that's on us, the church. That's on us as leaders and pastors for making it weird, for making it kooky, for for misusing and abusing gifts and demonstrations of the Spirit. For doing silly things that were in the flesh and calling it the Holy Spirit. For saying things that were just out of our minds, not out of our hearts. And saying, the Holy Spirit says, thus saith the Lord. That's on us. But somebody's got to correct it. Somebody's got to bring this thing back into the middle of the road. Somebody has got to create the balance so that we can effectively desire spiritual gifts as he says to a church, a church that was already operating in these gifts, a church that was actually operating so strongly in these gifts that they were abusing and misusing, and they weren't getting the desired results. Desire spiritual gifts. There is nothing that suggests in the Word of God that in the last days that the gifts will become more and more unnecessary, more and more optional. God is not in heaven saying, well, at least we get them to heaven. Well, at least we got them saved. We say those things, but God is not saying those things. God is saying, now let's get the spirit in them. Let's get my spirit upon them. Let's have them demonstrate kingdom work in an earth that needs kingdom work done. Because the only, thing we're, the only way we're going to see things change that we know need to change and ought to change is when we start yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Desire spiritual 
gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He goes on down. I'm just going to list these out because I know they don't have the verse behind me. But uh, if you have your Bible out, you can jump down to verse, uh, well, no, that's in chapter 12. Chapter, just, just write it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm trying to be very intentional, and I've already burned up just about all my time explaining what I just explained. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 8. For to one he's given a word of wisdom, to another a word of knowledge to another faith, to another gifts of healings, to another the working of miracles, prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and then the interpretation of those tongues. We have nine gifts of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Spirit that are divided into three different categories. We have the revelatory gifts, the revelation gifts, the gifts that reveal and show us something. That is the word of wisdom. That is the word of knowledge. That is the discerning of spirits. Those are the gifts that reveal. We have gifts that utter, gifts that say something. The gift of tongues, the interpretation in a known tongue. And then we have the gift of prophecy, which is what we'll dive into today. And then lastly, we have the power gifts. The power gifts, the working of miracles, gifts of healings. The gift of faith, the power gifts do something. So we have three gifts that reveal, three gifts that say, and three gifts that do. All three of these categories and all nine of these gifts show us what God is wanting to demonstrate in the earth today. And he wants to do it by revealing something to us. He wants to do it by saying something to us. And he wants to do it by doing something for us. Amen? So today we're going to dive into prophecy. Dive into prophecy. Going back there to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but this is what he says. But especially that you may prophesy. But especially that you may prophesy. Notice that he gives us an emphasis on the gift of prophecy. Now I want to remind you real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 addresses three gifts. It addresses all the gifts that say something. It addresses all the gifts that say something. He's addressing the gift of tongues. He's addressing the interpretation of those tongues. And he addresses prophecy. Out of all nine gifts, there is no other chapter in the book that addresses, corrects, instructs, rebukes, and aligns gifts of the Spirit in their operation except for these three. And he's devoted an entire chapter to letting you know how prophecy works, how tongues work, and how interpretation of tongues work. Entire chapter. Now, no gift is more important than the other. We've asked this question, which gift is most important? The one that is needed at the time. The one that's needed at the time. If I need a gift of healing, if I need a miracle in my body, in my physical body, Thank you for your word of wisdom, but unless it contains some content that helps me get delivered of this healing, I need a gift. I need a working of miracles. I need a gift of healing, right? But now if I need, if I'm I'm betwixt between two things, I could go this way, I could go that way, and and I got a a healing evangelist in the room, you know, thank you for your service, but you, you got a word of wisdom that can help me. I need to know what I'm doing here. Which one of these should I do? What, What should I, how should I operate? Right? So what's most important gift? The one that is needed at the time. So we're not placing a priority. We're not placing an emphasis for the sake of saying, out of all nine gifts, you don't really need healings. You don't need gift of faith. You don't need, God's not really concerned with working of miracles. Uh, you know, those, those revelation gifts, that's uh, no big deal. But let's really hone in on tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. No, what it lets us know specifically In this Corinthian church and in churches still today, these are the three gifts that get mishandled and abused the most. Why? Because at the end of the day, they can be the hardest ones to judge. I mean, it's not real hard to judge a working of miracles. It either happened or it didn't. 
It's not hard to judge a gift of healings. You either got healed or you didn't. It's not difficult to judge a, a, a word of wisdom because if, if I do what you are telling me by the Spirit of God to do and it doesn't pan out, we got a problem. And a word of knowledge is revealing the past. That's easy. You're saying you got a condition in your body. I ain't got no condition. You, you missed it. Right? Discerning of spirits. But when we get to these three gifts and we speak a tongue, well, is it by the spirit or is it just our flesh? We interpretate that tongue. Interpret that tongue. Just interpretate, interpret. Interpret the word interpretate. I just made up a new word. Maybe that was in tongues. I don't know. The interpretation. Flesh, spirit. And now prophecy. Flesh, spirit. And out of these three, he gives us an emphasis. He says, desire more so that you prophesy. He goes on with this bent, and he says this in verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, this is what he says. I wish you all spoke with tongues. So, again, we're not discouraging the use of tongues. But he, got, but he does say this. But even more that you prophesy. So now he's actually giving greater weight and greater value in a corporate setting. I wish you would yield yourself to prophecy more than tongues or interpretation of tongues. He goes on to say, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Why? Because the prophecy doesn't demand the use of another gift. You see the difference? Prophecy in and of itself is spoken in a known language. It is speaking the oracles of God. It is speaking from the Father in heaven. They're not speaking on their own initiative. They're not just making something up. We'll cover that in just a minute. But when I give a tongue or receive a tongue, I need an interpretation. I need to know in my language, my understanding, whether the Lord reveals it to me directly or there's an interpreter in the room that can now speak in a known language what was spoken in an unknown language. So where I need two gifts over here, gift and interpretation of tongues, I only need one. I, just, I wish that you all would yield yourselves and lend yourselves more so to prophecy. Most likely what was taking place in this church is we were just having a bunch of tongues blasted with no interpretation. And he says, there's no edification in that. Your, 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 your knowledge is unfruitful. Your mind is unfruitful. And now we're placing a demand on another gift that, that we ought to lend ourselves and we should uh, desire more strongly that we operate in prophecy. If you go down to the very end of the book, so that's, the, or not the end of the book, the end of the chapter, that's the beginning of the chapter. But if you go down to verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Have you ever given someone instruction and then you know, you, you kind of run down, okay, this is what I need you to do, and this is what's going to take place. You're kind of going through the whole thing. And then at the very end, you say, oh, and don't forget, I need you to do this. And you reiterate what you just spent the whole time. That, that tells you it's pretty important, right? If he's going to start us off, desire prophecy, desire spiritual gifts, explain the difference between prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, Shows us how this Corinthian church was misusing them and abusing them. What they're for, how to apply them, how to use them. And then he gets all the way to the end of the chapter and says, oh, remember, desire prophecy and don't discourage people to speak in tongues. That lets us know he's trying to get something across here, not just to the Corinthian church, but to us as well. 
You know, we, we can probably all think of ideas or ways, uh, you know, if you've been in those circles, you've been in those churches before where you've maybe seen things misused, mishandled, abused, whatnot. But that started 2,000 years ago. This, this wasn't just, we didn't start messing this up in the 40s. We didn't start messing this up with the Azusa Street Revivals. We didn't start messing this up in the 90s. We, they messed this up at the Corinthian church, one of the first ones ever planted. Like right out the gate, we're misusing these things. So he's trying to bring this correction. This is how prophecy is defined. This is how prophecy is defined. It is a supernatural utterance. A supernatural utterance in a known tongue. It's that simple. It's a supernatural utterance in a known tongue. A supernatural utterance in a known tongue. If tongues is a supernatural utterance in an unknown tongue, and then the interpretation of tongues is the revealing of what was said in the unknown tongue, in a known language or a known tongue, then prophecy, if one plus one equals two, if this and this equals this, then we understand that prophecy is a supernatural utterance in a known tongue. I'll give you a few definitions. The word uh, prophesy, to prophesy. So prophecy is C-Y, prophesy is S-Y. And in the Hebrew, it means this, to flow forth. It means to flow forth. It means to bubble like a fountain. To lift up. That's what it means in the Hebrew. In the Greek, it means this, to speak for another. Simple as that. To speak for or on the behalf of another. Okay? This is how we uh, identify prophecy. This is what we have to understand. Prophecy is a supernatural utterance. Therefore, it demands fully relying on the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to prophecy and prophesying uh, and prophetic words and things of that nature, what tends to happen a lot of times is we get our eyes on the man, the gift, or the man using the gift, and forget that there is a supernatural dependence upon the Spirit of God. Many times when someone... Uh, has a prophetic word revealed to them to, that is to be delivered or spoken, they only get a piece. They don't get the whole image. They don't get the whole picture. They don't get the whole thing. Many times even, when someone is given a prophetic word or it has something revealed to them, they don't see the whole picture and they don't, they may not even know what it means. But the one receiving the word, the one receiving, whether it be for the church corporately, whether it be personally for an individual, they will know what it means. But this is not an individual that just wants to, uh, you know, share their heart or give an illustration or paint a picture or portray an image or, or say good things or nice things or encouraging things. This is someone that is fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. That means that there's nothing in their head that is producing this prophetic word. There's nothing in their experience. There's nothing in their knowledge. There's nothing in their intellect that is producing this prophetic word that is coming. It is coming directly from heaven by the Spirit of God. And the one prophesying must yield fully to the Spirit of God to give the word of the Lord. I know that might seem redundant, might seem like, you know, a no-brainer, but what happens is, is we begin to play this off as if it's just, because here's the thing, the, prof, the prophetic word must be judged, the, prof, the prophetic word must resonate, the prophetic word must be confirmed, and when we stop yielding to the Holy Spirit, and we just want to have a demonstration um, you know, I'll tell you right now, a, a prophetic word is not just merely saying nice things to people. Now, I know that might sound like a silly way to put it, but, but 
we, we are, there is much conflict still today over these three gifts. And even in prophesying prophecies and receiving a prophetic word, we haven't properly discerned what is a prophetic word and what are just what the Bible calls words of encouragement. Just encouraging someone. The Lord just, the Lord wants you to know that he loves you. No, a prophetic word is going to have deeper resonation. The word of the Lord is going to come, and many times it's going to resonate directly with something you're going through, something you've been dealing with, something that is coming up. It's going to be more than just, you know, uh, the Lord wants you to know that his hand is on your life. No, it's going to have a, a, a deeper sense to it and a deeper resonation to it. It's going to have more authority behind it. I think that's probably the best way to put it. There's going to be more authority behind the prophetic word than just someone telling people nice things. Okay? Why do we say that? Because this gift sometimes uh, can be reduced to just saying nice things. Where do we get this? We get this right here in verse uh, 3. But he who prophesies speaks, what? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, the gift of prophecy in, this, in the nine gifts, the gift, of, uh, the gift of prophecy is given for edification, exhortation, and comfort. I want to make a very distinguishing uh, fact here. That nowhere in there is it necessarily alluding to any form of revelation whatsoever. Meaning we don't have a word of wisdom in operation, instruction on what to do in the future. It does not automatically allude that there is a, a word of knowledge, something being revealed from the past. Or discerning of spirits, the three revelation gifts. Now... The three revelation gifts can operate through the prophetic. But the simple gift of prophecy does not demand a revelation gift to be considered. Meaning, it doesn't have to tell us about, you know, what's going to happen the next three years. In fact, that, that would not even, that, that would be more than just the simple gift of prophecy. We'd be operating over into the office of the prophet. Ephesians chapter 4 outlines the fivefold ministry gifts. The office of the prophet will always have a revelation gift in operation. But a simple gift of prophecy doesn't necessarily have to have any form of revelation attached to it whatsoever. Now, many times when you hear someone give a prophetic word, it's got to have these three things. So let's identify what these three uh, mean. And they are right here. Edification. Edification means this, building up. If you look up the Greek word edification, it actually has to do with architecture. As if you're building upon something. You're laying a foundation and then you're building. It means building up. Edification means this, the act of one who promotes the growth of another. Edification means the act of one who promotes the growth of of another. Exhortation. We got edification, we got exhortation. This is what exhortation means in the Greek. It means this, a calling near to God. A calling near to God. You should feel drawn near, closer, nearer to the heart of the Father, to God himself. Not to the man, not to the ministry, but to God. It should bring you near to the heart of the Father. It encourages us to draw close to God. And exhortation does. And then lastly, he says comfort. This is what comfort means in the Greek. Any address made for the purpose of consoling, any address made for the purpose of consoling, persuading, admonishing, and encouraging. Comfort means any address made for the purpose of consoling, 
persuading, admonishing, and encouraging. So again, we recognize here that we don't want to get this confused with the office of the prophet that has revelation gifts in operation. Typically, if you uh, come into contact with someone that operates uh, in that manner consistently, you are coming into contact with the prophet, with the prophet of God. But when we just have the simple gift of prophecy, and I say simple not to dismiss it or, or devalue it. I say simple just to, in comparison to the office of the prophet. When we're talking about prophesying as one of the nine gifts of the spirit, it does not automatically demand or uh, incur that we're going to have a word of wisdom given or a word of knowledge given. It's given for edification, the building up, the promotion of one's growth. It's given for exhortation, the drawing near and encouraging one to draw nearer to the heart of God and the, the Father. And it's given for comfort, to encourage, to admonish, to console. Those are the three things. We, one of the big mistakes when it comes to prophecy is we confuse it with a prophetic word, which would be a foretelling of the future a foretelling of what's going to come, and encouragement. And we actually see this in Acts chapter 21. We can see the difference here. Acts chapter 21. And um, we want to start with verse 8, Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. Bless you. Verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now the man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet. So notice we've got four daughters that prophesy. And now we've got one individual that's identified as the office of the prophet. Got four daughters that are prophesying. And there must have been some sort of demonstration. There must have been some way to know that these uh, uh, women were prophesying. They must have been giving these prophecies according to what we read in 1 Corinthians 14 for edification, for exhortation, or for comfort. But now we've got a prophet that shows up named Agabus. Came, uh, came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This is more than just a word of edification, a word of exhortation, and a word of comfort. In fact, we've heard many people say, uh, you know, when a prophetic word is given, well, you know, if there's any negativity to it, then it must not be a word from God. Well, that goes completely against Scripture. There's plenty of prophetic words that are not positive in any, in any light other than it's a warning to us of what's to come. It's a, it, it's a warning of destruction, a warning of, of things. So to, to have this idea that uh, you know, prophetic words just paint these beautiful pictures that just make us all feel overwhelmed and better about ourselves and good, there's plenty of times that the Lord has spoken from heaven through a prophet, and it wasn't encouraging, and it wasn't exciting, and it was, man, I got to do something about this. You know, we all love the verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the one that Chris wrote, you know, the one that Future Now wrote, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Well, that, go put it in context. The whole rest of it ain't, ain't that great. He's letting you know, I got great plans, but you're going to have to stop doing this, 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 and this, and, and he, he go, look, go look it up. Read the whole thing. We love that part. You should use the other parts, Chris. Y'all should put that on your, on your mission statement. See how that turns out for you. No, I would use that one too. So we understand, though, that 
He's giving instruction and he's foretelling. He's letting them know what's going to happen to Paul, the one owning the belt. Notice the imagery he uses. He takes the belt and he wraps it around his hands. Many times you'll find that when a prophecy is given, it'll use a lot of imagery. God wants to make sure he is conveying and portraying the message he's getting across. And remember, it's not the minister or it's not the person that is giving the word. It's the spirit of God. We're the vessels. Just no more than it's me healing your body. It's a gift of healing working through me to heal your body. It's no different. It's not just a Christian believer just wanting to say nice things or encourage somebody or edify or exhort or comfort someone. No, it's by the spirit of God. And so there might be imagery. You know, I've heard people give prophecies, and, and really all they're doing is painting a picture. I, I, I just, I, I see roots in the ground, and, and from this ground is, in fact, this just happened Sunday. If you were here at the end of service on Sunday, uh, uh, Nick Shipsky gave an imagery of a seed planted in the middle of the wilderness. It's just imagery. And that was by the Spirit of God. That wasn't him sitting there thinking, you know what, I, I'm thinking about seeds. And, and I think it's in a wilderness somewhere. No, he's hearing by the Spirit of God. And I can almost promise you that when he came down, he only had the beginning of that. And it had to come, bubble up, come out, come forth, flow forth. Right? Because every single one of these, if it's nine gifts of the Spirit, guess what it's going to demand out of you? Faith. <laughs> it's ain't nine gifts of the natural. It's nine gifts of the Spirit, meaning I'm about to open my mouth and I'm going to start something and I hope I've got a way to finish it. You ever listen to someone start a sentence and you know they're figuring it out along the way? They do that naturally. Well, I can tell you right now, you're doing that in the Spirit. You you just get an image. You get a glimpse. Many times, uh, people that operate in in the gift of prophecy, they'll also operate, they'll they'll, uh, operate with dreams with visions? Why? Because it's God revealing something through a vessel. It's God showing them something for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and comfort. Um, Let's see here. Let's keep on going. Notice this. Let's keep going here in uh, Acts chapter 21. go, Go to verse 12. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So here's the key. When a prophetic word is given, it still is going to demand participation on the part of the hearer. A lot of times we have this idea, uh, you know, that, you know, if a prophetic word is given, whether it uses uh, a a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, that it's just automatically going to come to pass. No, that's not that's not always the case. They were actually reluctant to obey the word that came from the prophet that they all recognize operates in the office of the prophet, Agabus. He came down from, that's the prophet Agabus. He operates in the prophetic. He gives instruction and it still demands that the hearer respond favorably and accordingly for this thing to play out and come to pass. Now, yes, when you're talking about the office of the prophet, many times they will foretell and they will give things that are going to happen regardless of what what you want to do or not. When Jesus said, trials and tribulations will come, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, that's, re- that's if we participate or not, trials and tribulations are going to come. The part you have to participate with is the be of good cheer, right? So we got to understand that prophetic words aren't just utterances that are, you know, uh, you know I- I've seen people be ministered to and receive a prophetic word. Uh, you know, Pastor Chris, you just received one not too long ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma regarding some business affairs. And the word of the Lord, if I'm not mistaken, was that it's going to be repaid seven times. Someone did you wrong, but it's going to be repaid seven times. But I can promise you, if he just goes out from here and just doesn't know what he's doing, isn't a financial steward, isn't believing God for what's coming, he ain't getting repaid seven times. He'd make it worse. Just because the man of God spoke. Now it's leading me as the hearer to say, all right, how can I engage this? How how can I make this a reality in my life? Amen? So we got to understand, don't be, don't get it twisted. Don't get confused and thinking that we're just, you know, I've seen people put memes, 
you know, uh, posts on Instagram and social media. But prophetic words require you doing more than sharing with 10 friends. If you share this with 10 friends, you'll have a great day. I mean, I've never shared it with 10 friends. I've always been hesitant and uh, a little bit cynical of that. Maybe you have. It's like, you know what? I had a great day. I shared it with 10 friends. Then, hey, I'm wrong. But I can promise you it takes a little more than that. You got to take it to heart. You got to take it to heart. The Bible tells us to judge. And I know we, we don't understand that word judge today. I, I know we don't. But when it comes to prophecy, we're, you know, judging doesn't mean, okay, prove it to me. No, judge, uh, but that's the way a lot of the context is today. Okay, show me that in Scripture. Okay, let's see if it really comes to pass. No, judging means using scriptural uh, context. How can we understand if this is a word from God or is this just somebody saying nice stuff or you know, making it up on their own. I've got four questions here that I think will help us. Four questions here that I think will help us. Number one, does it bring glory to God or man? The word's very clear. If a prophetic word is given, if a word of the Lord is given, it's not going to exalt the man. It's going to exalt God. Does it bring glory to God or man? Number two, does it bless people? Or does it discourage people? Does it bless people? Or does it discourage people? If it's for exhortation, edification, and comfort, then if it's just, you're just a you know, bunch of rotten people, I'm sick and tired of you all, get out of my face, he's, you know, he's coming to, to you know, destroy you, whatever. You know, and I've been in those services, and man, the weirdness that is felt, I mean, you can cut it with the knife. Everybody's looking out of the corner of the aisle at each other like, nope. Who gave them the microphone? No, it should be blessing people, edifying, exhorting, comfort. Number three, does it clarify or does it confuse? If you get a prophetic word and you're more at a loss after the word than you were before, probably not from God. It'll bring clarity. God makes things clear. He doesn't muddy the water. He doesn't throw things out there that you've got to try to figure out, what am I supposed to do? I've had people come to me and say, you know, an individual gave me this word, and, and now I don't know what to do. I thought I knew what to do, and now I have no idea. Throw it out. Go, go back between you and God. See, this is the thing. As we've said with all of these gifts, the prophetic is not a replacement for you being led by the Holy Spirit in your own personal life. <laughs> not one time are we encouraged in Scripture to seek a prophet or the gift of the prophet for guidance and leadership. We are instructed clearly to seek the Holy Spirit, the inward witness. So it should bring clarity, not confusion. He's not going to muddy the waters. He's not going to make it harder to discover who he is. And the last one. Does it just simply make people feel good? Or does it accurately resonate with their spirit? Now I'll explain this. Does it just simply make people feel good? Or does it accurately resonate with their spirit? Many times when you see someone receive, if it's a personal prophetic word, the emotion that they become overwhelmed with lets you know this is hitting something for them. That maybe nobody else in the room even knows what they've been going through, what they've been thinking, what they've been dealing with. But, I mean, I, there have been times, in fact, this happened um, it was the summer of 2016. Probably one of the hardest summers in ministry uh, that I've ever had. And my wife and I, we had a, a trip planned to go out to Rama for camp meeting. We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, there was a, a minister that spoke one of the nights. Uh, I want to say it was Thursday night. And, and he called 
people down uh, specifically in ministry. He was, he was ministering to ministers. And at first, it was just general conflict. If you're dealing with the conflict, if you're dealing with, with, with a trial in, in your ministry, I want you to come down here. So I came down. And he didn't do this for everybody. But for a lot of them, he would stop and he'd say something in particular. And man, when he got to me, he prayed in the spirit for maybe seven to ten seconds. And then he began to say something in my ear because the band's going. I mean, this, this, isn't, this isn't, you know, for the whole audience to know. This is between me and him. And he begins to prophesy over my life and speak into my life exactly as if he had been in my office, been in my car, heard my personal uh, conversations with God himself. And he addressed and he named what I was dealing with that I couldn't put a finger on. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I was combating. I didn't know what I was up against. And he named it. And the second he named it, I just broke with emotion. I mean, it was one of the most touching opportunities and revelations I've ever had in my life. This guy is from Las Vegas, Nevada. Never met him in my life. Pastor David Sharon. Never met him in my life. First time I'd ever even sat in one of his services. And to the pinpoint degree that he prophesied. And there was, it was a word of knowledge. There was no word of, uh, uh, you know, wisdom per se, other than just the, prof, the prophetic exhortation, edification, and comfort. I'm with you. I'm going to avenge you. I'm going to see you through this. And he let me know how it was going to play out. And within six months, it was that way. He didn't name, you know, names. He didn't say it's this many individuals. He didn't name any, you know, numbers. It was just simple. This is what you're up against. I see a spirit of blah, blah, blah over you and, and, and letting me know how this was. And it was the spirit of God that I've been wrestling with, that I've been dealing with, that I've been tormenting. It was incredible. Now, that wasn't just nice words. That wasn't just a man saying, okay, which one of the, the, the magic things am I going to say to speak over his life? No, he's hearing from heaven in that moment. And I knew at that point God had arrested his mouth and the Holy Spirit was speaking through David Sharon's mouth. You understand the difference. And when you understand the difference, you know heaven is for you. You know God is on your side. You know that he hasn't left you. You know he hasn't forsaken you. You can look to the look forward with future to the future with hope, and it becomes bright regardless of what you may be in the midst of. All through a prophetic word, the gift of prophecy is dynamic. The gift of pro—I mean, it will resonate. Some of y'all may remember when Doctor Geet was here, and and you see him stand up. I got emotional sitting here because some of the instances that of the individuals that stood up, there was one individual sitting right here. And I knew the moment he pointed to her, didn't know her name, told her to stand up. I turned around and I said, I know where he's going with this. And boom, nailed every single thing she had been dealing with in that moment. And I knew it because I'm a pastor and I was privy to that. And I just began to break right there in my seat for her. Because we didn't have a conversation. I didn't let him know all the issues. <laughs> I didn't tell him, okay, these are the people you want to pick up. This is the, the, the man of God, the spirit of God working through a man that's flown all the way here from Dallas, Texas to minister in our church. And he is yielding himself as a gift. And the prophetic utterance just began to flow. Many of you were ministered to, and not just in physical, because uh, a lot of healings took place, but there were also things that he mentioned in your spirits, in your minds, in your situations. The nine gifts of the Spirit reveal the heart of the Father. I'm telling you right now, we have to, just as Paul said, desire these gifts. They are dynamic. They are incredible when they operate. And they should not be treated as optional. They should not be treated as uncommon. They should become familiar to the body of Christ. And I promise you, this stuff is not relegated to these four walls. I'll be honest. 
I think we should be hearing more of what's happening out there and you bring it back here than what happens here. I remember one time, uh, you know, somebody challenged Pastor Earl. was like, you know, there's just not a lot of, you know, miracles, not a lot of people getting healed these days. And so I remember Pastor Earl told me this. And so he went into the next Sunday service. And he said, how many of you in the last six months have been sick in your body, prayed for healing, were healed, and you just didn't tell anybody? Stand up. And almost every single person in the room stood up. We have this idea if it's not happening here, then it's not happening at all. We have this idea that if it's not on the news or if it's not, if there's not an Instagram post about it, there is so much stuff that the Holy Spirit is doing day in and day out. He is still working and moving mightily in our midst. We just need to get and partner with him. We just need to start working with him. We just need to start expecting him to do it in our everyday lives. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.